Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sports Day for Kia. The seven-seat Kia Sorento. Kia's most awarded large SUV ever. Available now at your nearest Kia dealer. Despite having to save a match point in this fifth set, Murray finds himself with three match points. Game, set the match, Murray. Three sets to two, six three, six three, four six, six seven, seven six. An extraordinary match, deserved an extraordinary way to finish it. Yes, Andy Murray, uh, the Peter Pan of tennis, continues in the men's singles after that first-round victory, knocking out the Italian 13 seed, Matteo Berrettini. And joining us uh, for the all-electric Kia EV6 GT supercar with Australian Open Tennis Update is our tennis expert from Breakpoint, the podcast, and, of course, part of SEN's First Serve program, Val Febo. Good evening to you. Hey, Peter, how are you going? Good. He's 35, Andy Murray. He turns 36, I think, in May, as I call the Peter Pan of uh, men's singles tennis at the moment. He still keeps going on. That was an epic performance earlier today. Oh, it was it ever. It was absolutely sensational. Andy Murray was, was in fine form in the first two sets against Matteo Berrettini, and it had been six years since he played on Rod Laver Arena. I had a look. It was like 2,100 days since he last played on RLA. And I hadn't beaten a top 10 player, at a, a top 20 player at a slam since 2017. And now Andy Murray, well, he did it the hard way, as he sometimes, sometimes likes to do. But, yeah, in over four and a half hours, what an epic win. And saved a match point in the end there and could have won it in the fourth. Um, had chances there. There was a volley that only went probably a couple of centimetres long. Um, in that tiebreak that could have won it for him or could have got him match point, didn't. Um, and, yeah, he just found a way to win, which he has so often done over the years. And, you know, testament to his character because he could have retired. He could have just packed it all in after after his hip surgery. But he is still going. He is still competing. And that's what we love about Andy Murray. He's just, he's been so underappreciated for so long. And, yeah, he's he's a superstar and a legend of this sport and a three-time major winner. And, uh, that that's exactly why, because he just does never say die. Mm. And it was a hot one in Melbourne today. A play had to be suspended around about, what, two o'clock this afternoon. Yeah, to be honest, it's, it was a little bit ridiculous, the fact that it was it was suspended today. Um, it, it, I, I've been here when it's been hotter and more oppressive, and a lot of the players are actually complaining as well. Jordan Thompson said, "We I've literally played in 40-degree heat here before. Um, why are we going off? And Taylor Fritz as well, um, during the US Open, he said um, or said that during the US Open, that's a play in humidity that's 10 times worse than what it is in Melbourne. Um, so also didn't want to go off. So yeah, a little bit ridiculous that we did have such a long break in play, especially when we went back, it was two degrees hotter than it was than when we, when we went off. And now it's raining. So that mm. three-hour heat delay has actually really caused problems with the schedule. So 
Um, I'm not sure what will happen. I'm not sure if the rain is going to set in. It is pretty wet outside at Melbourne Park. The sun might be peaking its head out now, but um, you know, whether the rain does come back, um, you know, that heat delay might have completely thrown the schedule out of whack. Yeah, interesting. Uh, 2 to 15 mils forecast for Melbourne tomorrow. I think you had about 36, 37 today. It's back to 23 tomorrow. And then on Thursday, you'll have to get out the jumpers, 19 degrees. It could only happen in Melbourne from 37 to 19 in a couple of days. <laughs> It certainly can, although I have done a bit of travel over the last year and it's been a bit the same in, uh, in Queensland at times. So, yeah. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I think that's just how, how Australia's weather's going at the moment. But, yeah, the reputation of Melbourne's four seasons in one day, we have certainly had that because I think there has been a match impacted by both the heat and the rain delay. So, absolutely bizarre scenes here at, uh, at Melbourne Park. But, um, yeah, we, we keep going and we push on. What about 24 hours on after the Nick Kyrgios decision that he had to pull out? I know Todd Woodbridge came out and suggested he needed to be a bit more careful regarding his preparation and maybe put in a preparation similar that got him to the men's singles final at Wimbledon. What's been the, the fallout after Nick Kyrgios bowed out at the press conference yesterday without hitting a ball this year? Yeah, I think there's, I think there's been a little bit of shock Um that Nick did pull out, it came relatively out of nowhere. Um, you know, everything was looking like he was going to play, but just, um, you know, just limited preparation. And then we got a text saying Nick Kyrgios on the way to the main press room now, um, all in capitals and um, just stress, stressing the urgency of it. And yeah, it was, um, I, I think people are still a little bit shocked, a little bit bummed out that they're not going to see him. But, um, you know, I think the Australian Open has, um, has the ability to, or has other draw cards that that aren't Nick Sirios that um that can carry the tournament. But yeah, I think the preparation is is key. I don't think he should have played that that practice match um on on Friday night against Novak Djokovic. I know he wanted to test it out. I know that he wanted to do everything that he possibly could to play here at Melbourne. But I just don't know if it was the right idea. They've known for a few days. Um, so you know, was it the right call to to wait this long? I don't know. Um, you know, what's been going on the last few weeks? Like, you know, why, why wasn't the message clearer throughout the United Cup um, that the problem was this serious? So, yeah, I, I'm not too sure. It is, a, it is, um, it, it's, yeah, it's not good for anybody, really. I think yeah. the fans were looking forward to seeing him and, and Kyrgios was really looking forward to playing because I think last year really brought up his motivation, the Wimbledon final and then that heartbreaking loss to Karen Kashinov in the quarterfinals of the US Open. He, he really thought he could win that. And, had he won that match, I reckon he could have gone on to win the tournament. So I think Nick knows that that was the one that got away. And, um, yeah, the, the Australian Open was the one he'd been earmarking the whole time. And, unfortunately, we won't get to see him here and probably get to see him next in March at Indian Wells. Yeah, I actually agree with you. I made those comments. Why did he play in that? OK, it was a, a charity match and the funds would have gone to a very worthwhile cause. But uh, I just thought it was bizarre that he played that charity game on a Friday night against Novak Djokovic, knowing that he was a, a bit dicey with that knee. But anyway, uh, he's made his decisions. I suppose he's uh, in the end had to pull out and uh, he won't be p- taking part in the Australian Open. Alex Demonor will. He's currently on court taking on the uh, Taiwanese player, Hsu, and he took the first set and he's got a break in the second. Uh, from an Australian perspective, he's our big hope now, isn't he, to go deep into the tournament? Yeah, he certainly is. And look, Demon is is a star. He's um he's a fighter. He never gives up. And and look, the draw isn't too bad for the first few rounds. Um, 
you know, if he wins tonight, which he which he very well should, he's up a set and a break already. But I think this is a match that I penciled in for him um, straight away as soon as I saw the draw. Um, you know, Demon should be winning this match. Next up will be John, uh, Adrian Manorino or John Isner. Battle of the aging veterans, I guess. They've been around for a very long time and it's their third decade playing tennis now. So, um, yeah, they, they've both uh, been around the block a few times. And, yeah, I think Demon should be able to combat both of those players pretty easily. Um, even Isner with his big serve, I think that shouldn't cause Demon any problems with his returning prowess. So no problems there. And then then you get to the third round against Pablo Carreño Busto, who won the Canadian Open in uh, in 2022, Masters 1000 event, huge, huge tournament. And then if he wins that, then possibly a matchup against Novak Djokovic. So, um, yeah, Demon will be looking to really push hard here. He loves playing the Australian Open, made the fourth round last year. And, um, yeah, looking forward to seeing what he can do. Yeah, and just some uh, news. Jordan Thompson has bowed out uh, in four sets as well to the American Wolf. So another Australian goes down. So your thoughts uh, after a couple of days as we let you go, Val, uh, a lot of big names are not there. There's been a lot of talk and a lot of publicity about uh, how many people actually will have a huge interest in the tournament now, particularly with the likes of Nick Kyrgios out. How do you read it uh, in going forward and who are going to be the players that hopefully stay in the tournament that give it life perhaps into the second week yeah look to be honest peter I, i'm really i'm the, the comments that are coming out on social media saying oh no one cares about the tennis now with no isla no nick no osaka no um and you know the first slam without federer but federer hasn't been around like hasn't come here for three years I really don't like the comments because there are still so many unbelievable players here. And tomorrow's lineup just shows that. Stefano Tsitsipas is headlining the Rod Laver Arena show tomorrow night. And he's playing against Australian Rinki Hijikata, who had a wonderful win last night against German Yannick Kampmann. His first main draw slam singles win. And also from two sets to love down, which was unbelievable. Then you've got Johnny Millman. He's taking on Daniel Medvedev on Margaret Court Arena. Rafa's still here. Rafa's a big draw card wherever he goes, and he's one of the greatest players to ever grace a tennis court. And then you've got Coco Goff and Emma Raducanu playing tomorrow night on Rod Laver to open the night session. How good is that going to be? uh, Coco Goff, teenager, 19 years old, against Emma Raducanu, the 2021 US Open champion. Um, it's yeah. I think there's draw cards aplenty at, at the Australian Open, and it's a bit disappointing that you know, seen a couple of people say that you know no one's going to watch now. It's completely not true. Um, the the tournament is as strong as ever. The first you know the first day showed um, record numbers, seventy seven thousand showed up to Melbourne Park, which was a record for day one. I think this tournament's going to be amazing. The draw is still wide open for so many players out there, and um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the next week and a half. Even though we've had uh, we've had minimal play today. Um, you know, it, it, it's been a great start to the event. And, um, yeah, fingers crossed we can see some raucous atmospheres um, like we have done for the first day and a half. Love your passion, Val, and uh, we'll invite you again to join us here on Sports Day. Uh, thanks for your time, and we'll keep in touch. No worries. Very much look forward to it. Have a good night, Peter. Good on you. Val Febo there, our tennis expert from Breakpoint uh, Podcast and, of course, SEN's first serve. All thanks to the all-electric Kia EV6 GT supercar, a pinnacle of engineering the Kia EV6 GT, the most powerful Kia ever crafted. Okay, we'll go inside the vault next, and we're going to speak to the brand-new coach of the Perth Footy Club, Peter German. Is he the man to break the drought at Demonland. We'll have a chat to him next at 25 past five. 
Sports Day for Kia. The seven-seat Kia Sorento. Kia's most awarded large SUV ever. Available now at your nearest Kia dealer. Despite having to save a match point in this fifth set, Murray finds himself with three match points. Game, second match, Murray. Three sets to two, six three, six three, four six, six seven, seven six. An extraordinary match, deserved an extraordinary way to finish it. Yes, Andy Murray, uh, the Peter Pan of tennis, continues in the men's singles after that first-round victory, knocking out the Italian 13th seed, Matteo Berrettini. And joining us uh, for the all-electric Kia EV6 GT supercar with Australian Open Tennis Update is our tennis expert from Breakpoint, the podcast, and, of course, part of SEN's First Serve program, Val Febo. Good evening to you. Hey, Peter, how are you going? Good. He's 35, Andy Murray. He turns 36, I think, in May, as I call the Peter Pan of uh, men's singles tennis at the moment. He still keeps going on. That was an epic performance earlier today. Oh, it, was it ever. It was absolutely sensational. Andy Murray was was in fine form in the first two sets against Matteo Berrettini, and it had been six years since he played on Rod Laver Arena. I had a look. It was like 2,100 days since he last played on RLA. And I hadn't beaten a top 10 player, at a, a top 20 player at a slam since 2017. And now Andy Murray, well, he did it the hard way, as he sometimes, sometimes likes to do. But, yeah, in over four and a half hours, what an epic win. And saved a match point in the end there and could have won it in the fourth. Um, had chances there. There was a volley that only went probably a couple of centimetres long. Um, in that tie break that could have won it for him or could have got him match point, didn't. Um, and, yeah, he just found a way to win, which he has so often done over the years. And, you know, testament to his character because he could have retired. He could have just packed it all in after after his hip surgery. But he is still going. He is still competing. And that's what we love about Andy Murray. He's just, he's been so underappreciated for so long. And, yeah, he's he's a superstar and a legend of this sport and a three-time major winner. And, uh, that, that's exactly why, because he just does never say die. Mm. And it was a hot one in Melbourne today. A play had to be suspended around about, what, two o'clock this afternoon? Yeah, to be honest, it's, it was a little bit ridiculous, the fact that it was it was suspended today. Um, it, it, I, I've been here when it's been hotter and more oppressive, and a lot of the players are actually complaining as well. Jordan Thompson said, "We I've literally played in 40-degree heat here before. Um, why are we going off? And Taylor Fritz as well, um, during the US Open, he said um, or said that during the US Open, they have to play in humidity that's 10 times worse than what it is in Melbourne. Um, so also didn't want to go off. So, yeah, a little bit ridiculous that we did have such a long break in play, especially when we went back, it was two degrees hotter than it was than when we, when we went off. And now it's raining. So that mm. three-hour heat delay has actually really caused problems with the schedule. So... Um, I'm not sure what will happen. I'm not sure if the rain is going to set in. It is pretty wet outside at Melbourne Park. The sun might be peaking its head out now, but, um, you know, whether the rain does come back, um, you know, that heat delay might have completely thrown the schedule out of whack. Yeah, interesting. Uh, two to 15 mils forecast for Melbourne tomorrow. I think you had about 36, 37 today. It's back to 23 tomorrow. And then on Thursday, you'll have to get out the jumpers, 19 degrees. It could only happen in Melbourne from 37 to 19 in a couple of days. <laughs> 
It certainly can, although I have done a bit of travel over the last year and it's been a bit the same in uh, in Queensland at times. So, yeah. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I think that's just how, how Australia's weather's going at the moment. But yeah, the reputation of Melbourne's four seasons in one day, we have certainly had that because... I think there has been a match impacted by both the heat and the rain delay. So absolutely bizarre scenes here at, uh, at Melbourne Park. But um, yeah, we, we keep going and we push on. What about 24 hours on after the Nick Kyrgios decision that he had to pull out? I know Todd Woodbridge came out and suggested he needed to be a bit more careful regarding his preparation and maybe put in a preparation similar. They got him to the men's singles final at Wimbledon. What's been the the fallout after Nick Kyrgios bowed out at the press conference yesterday without hitting a ball this year? Yeah, I think there's, I think there's been a little bit of shock um, that Nick did pull out. It came relatively out of nowhere. Um, you know, everything was looking like he was going to play, but just, um, you know, just limited preparation. And then we got a text saying Nick Kyrgios on the way to the main press room now, um, all in capitals and um, just stress, stressing the urgency of it. And, yeah, it was. Um, I think people are still a little bit shocked, a little bit bummed out that they're not going to see him. But um, you know, I think the Australian Open has um, has the ability to, or has other draw cards that that aren't Nick Kyrgios that um, that can carry the tournament. But yeah, I think the preparation is is key. I don't think he should have played that that practice match um, on on Friday night against Novak Djokovic. I know he wanted to test it out. I know that he wanted to do everything that he possibly could to play here at Melbourne, but. I just don't know if it was the right idea. They've known for a few days. Um, so, you know, was it the right call to, to wait this long? I don't know. Um, you know, what's been going on the last few weeks? Like, you know, why, why wasn't the message clearer throughout the United Cup um, that the problem was this serious? So, yeah, I, I'm not too sure. It is, a, it is um, it, it's, yeah, it's not good for anybody, really. I think yeah. the fans were looking forward to seeing him and, and Kyrgios was really looking forward to playing because I think last year, really brought up his motivation, the Wimbledon final, and then that heartbreaking loss to Karen Kashinov in the quarterfinals of the US Open. He, he really thought he could win that. And had he won that match, I reckon he could have gone on to win the tournament. So I think Nick knows that that was the one that got away. And um, yeah, the, the Australian Open was the one he'd been earmarking the whole time. And unfortunately, we won't get to see him here and probably get to see him next in March at Indian Wells. Yeah, I actually agree with you. I made those comments. Why did he play in that? Okay, it was a charity match and the funds would have gone to a very worthwhile cause. But uh, I just thought it was bizarre that he played that charity game on a Friday night against Novak Djokovic, knowing that he was a a bit dicey with that knee. But anyway, uh, he's made his decisions. I suppose he's... Uh, in the end, had to pull out, and uh, he won't be p- taking part in the Australian Open. Alex Demonor will. He's currently on court, taking on the uh, Taiwanese player, Hsu, and he took the first set, and he's got a break in the second. Uh, from an Australian perspective, he's our big hope now, isn't he, to go deep into the tournament? Yeah, he certainly is. And look, Demon is is a star. He's um, He's a fighter. He never gives up. And, and look, the draw isn't too bad for the first few rounds. Um, you know, if he wins tonight, which he which he very well should, he's up a set and a break already. But I think this is a match that I penciled in for him um, straight away as soon as I saw the draw. Um, you know, Demon should be winning this match. Next up will be John, uh, Adrian Manorino or John Isner. Battle of the aging veterans, I guess. They've been around for a very long time and it's their third decade playing tennis now. So, um, yeah, they, they've both uh, been around the block a few times and yeah I think Demon should be able to combat both of those players pretty easily um, even Isner with his big serve I think that shouldn't cause Demon any problems with his returning prowess so no problems there and then then you get to the third round against Pablo Carreño Busta who won the 
Canadian Open in uh, in 2022, Masters 1000 event, huge, huge tournament. And then if he wins that, then possibly a matchup against Novak Djokovic. So, um, yeah, Demon will be looking to really push hard here. He loves playing the Australian Open, made the fourth round last year. And, um, yeah, looking forward to seeing what he can do. Yeah, and just some uh, news. Jordan Thompson has bowed out uh, in four sets as well to the American Wolf. So another Australian goes down. So your thoughts uh, after a couple of days as we let you go, Val, uh, a lot of big names are not there. There's been a lot of talk and a lot of publicity about uh, how many people actually will have a huge interest in the tournament now, particularly with the likes of Nick Kyrgios out. How do you read it uh, in going forward and who are going to be the players that hopefully stay in the tournament that give it life perhaps into the second week yeah look to be honest peter I, i'm really i'm the, the comments that are coming out on social media saying oh no one cares about the tennis now there's no isla no nick no osaka no um and you know the first slam without federer but federer hasn't been around like hasn't come here for three years I really don't like the comments because there are still so many unbelievable players here. And tomorrow's lineup just shows that. Stefanos Tsitsipas is headlining the Rod Laver Arena show tomorrow night. And he's playing against Australian Rinki Hijikata, who had a wonderful win last night against German Yannick Kampmann. His first main draw slam singles win. And also from two sets to love down, which was unbelievable. Then you've got Johnny Millman. He's taking on Daniel Medvedev on Margaret Court Arena. Rafa's still here. Rafa's a big draw card wherever he goes, and he's one of the greatest players to ever grace a tennis court. And then you've got Coco Goff and Emma Raducanu playing tomorrow night on Rod Laver to open the night session. How good is that going to be? Nine uh, Coco Goff, teenager, 19 years old, against Emma Raducanu, the 2021 US Open champion. Um, it, it's Yeah, I think there's draw cards aplenty at, at the Australian Open, and it's a bit disappointing that, you know, I've seen a couple of people say that, you know, no one's going to watch now. It's completely not true. Um, the, the tournament is as strong as ever. The first, you know, the first day showed um, record numbers. 77,000 showed up to Melbourne Park, which was a record for day one. I think this tournament's going to be amazing. The draw is still wide open for so many players out there. And, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the next week and a half, even though we've had, uh, we've had minimal play today. Um, you know, it, it, it's been a great start to the event. And, um, yeah, fingers crossed we can see some raucous atmospheres um, like we have done for the first day and a half. Love your passion, Val, and uh, we'll invite you again to join us here on Sports Day. Uh, thanks for your time, and we'll keep in touch. No worries. Very much look forward to it. Have a good night, Peter. Good on you. Val Febo there, our tennis expert from Breakpoint uh, Podcast and, of course, SEN's first serve. All thanks to the all-electric Kia EV6 GT supercar, a pinnacle of engineering the Kia EV6 GT, the most powerful Kia ever crafted. Okay, we'll go inside the vault next, and we're going to speak to the brand-new coach of the Perth Footy Club, Peter German. Is he the man to break the drought at Demonland. We'll have a chat to him next at 25 past five. Yes, welcome back uh, to Sports Day as we go inside the vault on this Tuesday. Under the path of the running Wiley. 
onto Johnson. Johnson goes across half forward. Johnson, about 25 metres out from goal, has put it through. Good football, Phil. Oh, great shepherding from Johnson. Well played, Johnson, to allow Wiley to run downfield. Infield it goes in turn to Watt. He draws a man and diver over the top looking for Cooper. Now Murray's in the pocket, going for a more central location. Lions up. Thank you very much. So the kick goes in towards centre-half forward and Hargrave. On towards Johnson. Another goal in the offing for Perth. Umpire Powell bouncing the ball down. Taken by Rosbender. Vasasto knocking it on cleverly to Hill. Hill towards Anderson. Perth can score another goal if they hurry. Long towards full forward. At the back is Hargrave. He couldn't take the mark. In comes Doyle. The ball rushed across the goal line. A point has been awarded. So the final score in the 1977 grand final. Perth, 26 goals, 13. 169. Defeating East Fremantle, 14 goals, 12. 96. A very jubilant uh, group of Perth supporters. Flood the ground. Yes, their seventh and last premiership for the Perth Footy Club. It happened on Saturday, the 24th of September. They defeated East Fremantle in front of over nearly 45,000 people at Subiaco Oval. It was a landslide. They won 26-13-169 to 14-12-96. Murray Cooper kicked six. Doug Farrant, four as leading goal kickers for Perth. Kenny Judge, the late, great Ken Judge, kicked four goals in his very first Waffle Grand Final for East Fremantle. And that was it. Since 1977, Perth Footy Club, who I grew up uh, certainly not liking because they were so strong. They beat East Perth in three consecutive premierships in 67, 67, uh, 66, 67, 68. And that was basically in 66, a year after Peter German was born. Now, Germo goes to Lathlane to see in this three-year contract that he's got whether whether he can win a premiership for the Perth Footy Club. If they don't win one in 2023, it's a 46-year drought. Subiaco have the longest drought, 49 years, as I mentioned, from 1924 to 1973, when Ross Smith was recruited from St Kilda in the VFL to try and steer then the Maroons to a premiership in 1973. And for the first time here on Sports Today, I thought we'd bring that out of the vault 1977 because there's been a lot happening in the off-season down there at the Perth Footy Club. A new president, Adrian Barrich, a brand-new coach in Peter German, and some significant football personnel have ventured just over the causeway to Mineral Resources Park. Peter German, Happy New Year, and thanks for joining us. Geez, that's a big build-up, Pete. Did you like the history lesson? Well, I'm a bit of a historian of football anyway, whether it's VFL, AFL, Waffle, but uh, some great names there. Wiley, Bizasto, Hargraves, Cooper. That's right. Mate, the list goes on. There was some, uh, there's some absolute champions, and no wonder... Perth is, you know, as well, even to this day, they're obviously on the field. You know, we haven't played, or, you know, won as many games, I guess, as we'd like to, but still a, still a big supporter base, and it's probably on the back of the 60s and 70s and those great names. Oh, very much so, Pete. So you go to a club that is steeped in tradition, but as we know, they fall on hard times. They only broke, their, I think, their finals drought. They played in a final in 2010. But there's been no grand final appearances since 1978, actually. They played in the grand final the following year and were beaten by East Perth, who then 
were captain coached by Barry Cable, as we know, the uh, magnificent footballer for the Perth Footy Club during the 60s, and then went to your club in the VFL North Melbourne. So, Pete, you've walked down, and it's great that you're back in the local system. Every time uh, you came back, you had success. Two premierships with Subiaco. Uh, You went back home, if you can term it that way. What lured you back here to the West Coast? Uh, yeah, look, going back in 2009, I think, back to Melbourne, I sort of, I guess, went through a fair few clubs there. I was at Casey, which was Melbourne's um, development uh, team. So I coached there for a year. Then Williamstown, which was Western Bulldogs for four years, development coach there. And then Coburg in the BFL for four years. And um, so obviously, career coach, love coaching. Um, probably... After Coburg, I sort of felt like I needed a bit of a break and uh, went around. Ended up going up to Coral and Rutherglen the last couple of years in the uh, Ovens and Murray, which is a really, really mm-hmm. good competition. And and probably just sort of found a real desire again to probably coaching country football uh, in Victoria to, to realising how professional, obviously VFL, but obviously Waffle is as well. And and obviously having uh, some really good friendships and contacts over here, talking to a few people. Um, sort of knew that, you know, there's a couple of jobs coming up, but certainly the Perth job. It's all, Perth has always intrigued me. Even when I was coaching Subi and, and um, you know, I'd been over here for the 10 years that I was, that I always just wondered why Perth could really never, you know, get back to being a real, you know, don't even have to be a powerhouse, but, you know, a contender, someone who's side that's always pushing for a spot in the finals and, so, you know, look, when I was here, Stan was, Magro was coaching, and we were always, at Subi, we always found it hard to beat Perth, but it was just a club that really intrigued me, and I thought, just, to, you know, and then when the opportunity come up, you know, just probably that, um, you know, thought that, you know, it, it just, it's going to need a lot of work, but I think it's going to be wor- work that's going to be certainly worth it. And um, so, yeah, it, it wasn't too much of convincing. I, I just probably had to feel that the club was heading in the right direction, had uh, its off-field, you know, in um, in good shape, which it has uh, made profit again this year, um, you know. So so off-field, very good. We just, I guess, now need to try and build a brand on the field that's going to, you know, and, and it's not going to be a one-year thing, so it's not going to be like Ross Smith coming over to Subi in one year and turning into a premiership. I think that there's no doubt that in today's football you can't do that. You've got to be able to build it and... And anything that's really worth um, worth doing and, and you want it to be sustainable, it's got to be done over a period of time. So you build a strong foundation and then you continually build on that and that's how you get sustained success. So uh, I've got I've got a blueprint that I really want to work from and, and I just feel that, you know, we're just at the very start of that. Saying that, we know life's all about contacts, Jermo, regardless of where and what industry you're in, the people you know, the contacts you make. And no doubt you've used those contacts that you made here in Western Australia and even in your time coaching in Victoria to try and get some good personnel to maybe work as in the coaching capacity with you, i.e. Matt Prittis, who you got to know through Subiaco, and, of course, some of your other contacts as well. So you've brought together some fresh new faces. Are you content with some of the work that you've already done? Oh, I don't think I'm ever content. Pete, I think you know me pretty well. But as soon as I do one thing, I'm on to the next thing very quickly. Um, so, look, I, I'm I'm pleased with 
with so far what we've been able to do. Our coaching um, panel in, in uh, Stevie Armstrong, you know, and I really wanted Steve to be a part of it. Obviously, having a great Perth background with his family and himself, and um, and having Darren Rumble to be able to come on board. Um, you know, look, I've got you know some other guys like Matt Pritis, um, Alistair Pickett, who are going to come in and, and help bits and pieces. And I think that any time a player can maybe even just have a you know a five minute conversation with someone like a like a Pritis or or uh, Pickett, and uh, you know those types of guys. You know, I'm looking maybe see if we can get Murray Cooper down, and mm. and he can have a chat to some of our boys about goal kicking. So. It necessarily doesn't have to be, you know, AFL greats or, or anything like that. It can be people who I believe who have got some knowledge who can pass it on, um, you know. And I'm I'm always out for that, you know. I'm at the moment I'm I'm trying to get Big Earl to come down and say, me, you know, see if we can do a bit of ruck craft with some of our guys. So, um, you know, any any way we can help develop the players quicker, it, that's what it's all about. So let's not, you know, wait till halfway through the year before we, you know recognise that maybe we need some ruck work, you know, so we, you know, I guess I'm I'm trying to put in as, as much, um, you know, structure around the players that can certainly help their fast track their development. So you're putting the foundations in place. We know over the last few years, there were times where Perth just weren't competitive on the footy field. They used to get smashed by 20 goals. It was pretty uh, sad to see. I gather from your point of view, you're trying to restore a bit of credibility on the field Hence, you're trying to build the foundation in year one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think if you build it really quickly or too quickly, that means you're doing it on talent. And that may mean you're doing it with older players who were there one minute and gone the next. And and as I say, it's a bit like a house of cards. The quicker you build it, you know, the easier it is to crumble. So, you know, just I guess everywhere I've been, I've tried to, you know, make sure that we've got a good core base of local players that can, they're, they're, the, they're the cornerstone, they're the foundation of what you build it on. And then if you can add two or three players to that this year and another two or three the next year, then that's how you start to, you know, you, and you build it with quality people. And But I want to make sure that it, it does feel like it's a, you know, it's a it's a Perth club. It's, um, you know, it's not, uh, you know, uh, where we're bringing people from outside. And, and as I say, I think sometimes when you get it, get, get them from outside, yeah, they want to do the job, but do they really have the passion and do they really have the care and and the motivation to, you know, to make it, you know, sustainable and long term? And that's that's something that I'm really keen to try and build. That that it's not a group, not mercenaries, but people from the outside. But there's a lot of Perth um, involved in what we're trying to do. And finally, Germo, the reserves and in particular the Colts. Uh, no doubt, you're only as good as your depth. No doubt those two grades need to be competitive as well. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about that. I'm really, we're really, really pleased with, um, you know, what we, I think we'll be able to bring out with our under-18s this year with our Colts. Um, Scotty Moore's coaching them and, um, you know, and and he's got some really good resources where, you know, it's just as important. And I think that's the thing about what I'm really pleased about the club is we understand that it's going to really have to come from our locals and it's going to have to come from our... Colts. We're gonna to have to every year. We have to, you know, be bringing through six to eight to ten good young kids who come through, and a few play seniors, and you know, some develop their craft through the through the reserves, and and you know, and that's how that's how it's got to be. And so I think we've really done some really good work in that. Um, you know, Trevor Williams and Russell um, Clark have really done some fantastic work mm. uh, building that up. And again, yeah, it's about building our list. 
Um, you know, so from my point of view, you're exactly right. Anytime I've coached, uh, you know, uh, a, a team, you know, the reserves are a really big, big, uh, strong part of that. And uh, and you're exactly right. So yeah, look, we're going to be young this year. Mm. Uh, got a lot of some really good young talent in, um, you know, and over probably the next month or so, they've, you know, we'll probably, you know, trot a few out there. And, 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 you know, at the moment, we probably just want to keep everything a bit low key and, and just do the, you know, the hard work, the grind to get that um, strength and, and fitness space into them and start to learn a probably a, certainly a different game plan to, to what we've done, before, how they've played before. So uh, let's get all that and then, you know, hopefully a lot of what we our talk this year will be on the field rather than sort of trotting out big names. It's just going to be, you know, how well we play on the field, how mm. conducive, um, you know, how we bring it all together and how structurally we, we work as a team. And, and that's got nothing to do with age. That's got everything to do with discipline and how well you're prepared and how well you're structured up and trained. So, as I say, I'm, I'm really confident that we're certainly going to be able to give a good account of ourselves this year. I mentioned the Colts because... Uh... Former Eagle star Ben Cousins is going to have some sort of involvement. To what involvement? To what degree, Pete? Um, look at the moment. You know, obviously, um, you know Ben to be able to get back, and I think the majority of people are really, you know, happy and pleased to see, you know, to see where he's where he's come to, and 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 certainly Perth Footy Club, if we can help, and obviously his connection with Adrian Barrett has sort of just got him down and. And I think he's seen a, a good opportunity just to come down and help mentor a little bit with some of the Colts boys. Um, obviously, loves his training. So more than anything, he's actually going down and training and and just you know, grabbing a bit of one-on-one and, and just teaching them, you know, just some little tricks or some skill drills and, and things that can really help them. So yeah, from what I've I've heard, um, the the Colts, you know, are just over the moon the fact that how he's going about it and just him being involved. Mm. Uh, it's, it's really exciting for, for them and, and the coaching staff and, and, and our club. So really pleased with, with Ben and, and, and uh, what he's prepared to do for our club this year, which is, as I say, it's not going to be massive, but it'll be certainly something that's going to help him to maybe down the track. I think he wants to do his level three coaching. So, um, and I think that that's, as I say, that's a really great opportunity for him to, to move forward and certainly in the coaching capacity. Okay, and as I let you go, how's former Richmond uh, Sydney Stack been going? Uh, Sid, um, to be honest, you know, obviously uh, we've only just spoken to him um, just recently and from all indications, he is really wanting to come back okay. and put his best foot forward for the, for the Perth Footy Club. So I think, you know, what's his space? I think that, you know, there's going to be, you know, I, I think that uh, he's a really good chance for us to to, uh, to play football for the Perth Footy Club this year and, and he knows he's got a lot of bit of work to go but you know again I think that footy clubs are great to be able to help people get to you know get them back on track get them where they need to be give them a focus have a real good um, group of people around them and a great environment and I think that that you know that's what we can really offer Sid. Great to have you back. Great to have you back, Jim. I might get down to the Sundowner, actually, at the club. Uh, 5.45 on Thursday, $15 for members, $20 for non-members, and you can see Peter German in all his glory, Demons fans. The Sundowner <laughs> this Thursday at 5.45. Get to know the coach again. Jim, I'm wrapped. Great to have you back, mate. Good luck, and we'll keep in touch. No worries. Catch up, Pete. Thanks for that. See you, mate. Uh, we'll take a break. Come back with more here on Sports Day. 
Sports Day for Kia. The seven-seat Kia Sorento. Kia's most awarded large SUV ever. Available now at your nearest Kia dealer. Yeah, great to have you company. It is Sports Day. Thanks to Kia. The all-electric Kia EV6 GT Supercar is on. I know this man is enjoying this time of year because the tennis is on. He was a tennis professional for a while before he got a real job as the Chief Operating Officer of Venues West. We're talking about Peter Bocop, a man of many talents. Pete, thanks for your time. Uh, thanks, Pete. What a wonderful introduction. <laughs> <laughs> you were a tennis professional for a while. We know that. And you weren't bad at it, let me tell you. But that's a story for another day. Uh, Optus Stadium, there's a game here tomorrow. The Perth Scorchers are back home. There's a couple of games left, hopefully, and then maybe some finals action. Yeah, look, I think sitting at ladder position number one, and it could be an historic back-to-back, um, as you said, just back from Sydney, one win and one loss. So the next game, 18th of January against the Hobart Hurricanes and the 22nd of January against the Melbourne Renegades. I think if they take those two home, I reckon they're going to be right up there for the for the championship. Yeah, right? and then we'll have uh, finals uh, of the BBL here at Optus Stadium, which would be terrific. So we wish them the best of luck. It's amazing. All of a sudden, we're looking at some football being played here next month. I know. Can you believe it? It's um, not too far away, although with um, the AFL snuck in an extra magic round, which is going to occur in Adelaide. So um, week one, we've got a, a different Sharon at the venue. And <laughs> so we go from, from Ed Sharon to the next week, um, the real football coming back in. So it's a very different start to the season. We've got the Dockers on the Saturday and the Eagles on the Sunday. And then the following weekend is straight into the Derby. So for football fans, it's going to be a very unique and very memorable start to the year. Amazing. Is that 25th and 26th of March, uh, that uh, first round set of fixtures for the Dockers and the Eagles. And, of course, we encourage everybody to get behind the Perth Wildcats this season. And you can pick up tickets by going to ticketech.com.au. And they've got a few dates late this month and early next month at RAC Arena. Yeah, they certainly have. January 20 and 27, and then February 3 and 5. And Peter, I was actually got to say, I was blessed to be at the Wildcats game on Saturday with the NBL owner, Larry Kesselman, was over. Oh, okay. And I don't think we, oh, we could not have put on a better advertisement for the Wildcats in Western Australia. The Red Army came out in force. I don't think I saw one spare seat there. Mm-hmm. The roof was open. The glorious Perth sunshine was raining down. And everyone in the Wildcats absolutely took it to the Adelaide 36ers. Um, and I think they're on the right track, Pete. I think it's finals time for the Wildcats again. Yeah, keeping our fingers crossed. Uh, no, the pictures look fantastic, Pete. And thanks for giving us a bit of a, a critique on the event. Speaking about events, this is going to be big on the 12th of February, UFC 284. Uh, I think big's the understatement. I, I still think this holds a record for our fastest selling event at RAC. And gee, there's been some hundreds of incredible world-class events. And this one has, has taken the cake. So 12th of February, right in partnership with the West Australian government through Tourism WA, this marks the UFC's return to Perth. So uh, look, the tickets are all gone at the moment, but if 
there are any last-minute releases, we'll definitely let you guys know. Oh, you're a good man. Uh, that's going to be huge. A lot of people are talking about it. And it's getting ever so close now, the 12th of February. Uh, in March also, we've got netball returning to RAC Arena. And, of course, the West Coast Fever, Fever are the reigning champions in the Suncorp National Competition. Absolutely. We've got our best performing team that the ladies really showed us the way last year, taking home the, the grand final for the very first time. And looking at the team sheets, I think they might even just do it again, Pete. I think they're just as strong as last year. And, um, geez, wouldn't you love to see these guys and the Scorchers go back-to-back and the Wildcats get back up there? Yeah, was, not out of the question. No, not out of the question. And Nat Medhurst, uh, the former West Coast Fever champion and Australian Diamonds player, I do some radio with her on Saturday morning, and she reckons the squad for the Fever is going to be stronger this season than in past. Saying that, let's go to Macedonia Park, which is the temporary home for the Perth Glory. I tell you what... They've played three games in a week and haven't lost two wins and a draw. Well, you look at it, and I know it was a real tough for Glory to go to a venue that was made just to handle part of the season, but it's a bit of a fortress for them. They, they haven't lost there. They've won three out of four games there, and we're also hearing the good news. The other teams from Eastern State don't like playing there, mm. and Glory are now climbing the ladder. So I think it's a, it's a really good result, and we've had... um. Tony Sage on the phone seeing if we can push attendance to higher numbers. So things are really looking up for the glory. And they play the Melbourne victory this Saturday night, the 21st of January, then a couple of other home games but on the 4th and 11th of February. 4th and the 11th. Pete, yeah, you're a champion. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Of course, Perth Links Games are at the Bendat Basketball Centre. We've got the Australian Youth Water Polo Championships at HBF Stadium and plenty of action at the Perth Motorplex as well on the 21st and the 28th of January. Thanks for joining us, Pete. Thanks, Pete. We'll look forward to talking next month. Good on you. Peter Bocop joining us. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks very much, Lee. This has been Sports Day. Thanks for Lisa, too, for getting in contact with us for the first time this year.